My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for your hearts, our hearts. Amen. Hello, you ugly sinner. That is the way I greeted my best friend in 1984 when we first met. I was in seminary. I was fired up for Jesus, and I wanted everybody to know exactly where they stood in the realm of faith. He's been my best friend since 1984, and the first thing I ever said to him was, hello, you ugly sinner. By the way, I also learned to say it in Spanish. I wanted to be, you know, an equal opportunity challenger of people's faith. I say, feo pecador. My Spanish friend said, those words don't really go together, but that's ugly sinner. And guess what? That's exactly what John the Baptist's message was when people came to hear him in the Jordan River. It's exactly what he said. Hello, you ugly sinner. Imagine we had a guest preacher, and I build up this guest preacher. I've heard him preach. Lives are going to be changed. This gospel is going to be preached. The, the, the holy Shekinah glory of God is going to come down, and he shows up, and he needs a haircut and a shave. He's got dirty jeans and a torn T-shirt. And uh, he's got one of those stares that looks right through you, like he knows exactly what you're thinking. And he has a three-point message. Repent, confess, and be baptized. But he doesn't say it politely. He calls each and every one of us out on our personal sin. Well, we really have three choices to respond. The first one is we can politely listen and then go home and talk about him at lunch. The second thing is we could get angry and just walk out. I don't have to hear this from him and leave. Or we could let the message touch, connect, and save our souls. Matthew paints exactly the same picture. Did you hear what he said? In fact, imagine if it was an infomercial. I, I, I sort of miss those on late night TV. Remember, you, you couldn't sleep. It'd be 12.30, 1 o'clock at night. And you, you could get, you know, the, the toupee that would last in the swimming pool. And you could get things that diced and sliced and made julienne fries. They had all that stuff. Imagine, right in the middle comes this infomercial. Come and see an old-time prophet. A sight not seen in 400 years. Yes, real camel cloth for his clothes. Yes, he even eats locusts and honey. Yes, for a limited time only. Come and see a real prophet of God. Now, we know that there wasn't television back in the day of Jesus, but there was word of mouth, and these are exactly the things that people were saying about John the Baptist. How do we know that? Because it's in the book. They went out to see this wild and crazy guy. It was a good show. And when they got there, that wild and crazy guy hit them with the word of God. And how did he greet them? Hey, you ugly sinners. Glad you came. Buckle your belts. We're going for a ride. Now, I want you to know that, and this is a, I'm chasing my own rabbit here. 89% of people who go to church are there because a friend, a relative, or a neighbor brought them. It's called frangelism. The Church Growth Institute calls it frangelism. Friends, relatives, and neighbors. That's how John the Baptist's crowd grew. 
Somebody went to hear him and they told somebody else and they told somebody else and they told somebody else. I'm glad Danny mentioned the lady who called on the, the phone. Maybe she's listening to this because I told her about our Spotify, that our messages are on Spotify. She said, oh, I have Spotify. Well, let me get a pen. And she wrote down Madison's, she, she wrote it down. So I'm hoping she listens. The, the word is getting out and people need to be invited. If you're, you're wondering where all the people are that should be filling our pews, they live next door. They come to your house for Sunday dinner. They work with you. Now, that's not really what the message is about, but it fit well right there. People came to see the show. And just like my opening illustration, some were entertained, some were annoyed and angry, and some lives were changed. And what was the essence of John's message? It was really an either or, a black and white, or up and down. Sometimes when my kids were little, and we in the car we would play a game. Only pastor's kids played this game, by the way. We would try to come up with two-word messages, like turn or burn, fly or fry, <laughs> duck or dig, right? And, right? How could you present the gospel in just... Two words. Now, how does John do it? You got heaven, you got hell. Now, we don't talk about that a whole lot. We talk about the love of God, which is there, and the grace of God, which is there, and the, the mercy of God, and the people of God, and the praise of God. But we really don't talk about what happens to the people that don't love God and don't honor God. And I got to tell you that some of us forget that God can see us all the time. I, I know that you had David Meese here many years ago, uh, a Christian piano player and singer, and I don't know if he did this, but one of my favorite pieces from him is called Mom, the Muffler, and Mozart. And he talks about the fact that his mother would let no contemporary music in the house. He was only allowed to play classical music, Mozart. And he practices Mozart, and one day his brother came in with a vinyl album, and it was Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And he said to his brother, do you want to die? That's not allowed in our house. But he listened to Sergeant Pepper, and the good news is mom's car had a muffler with a big hole in it. So you could hear mom leave, and you could hear mom come back. So when mom was leaving the house, he would play Mozart. Soon as mom left the house, 20 years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. And when he heard the muffler coming back, right back to Mozart. And he makes the point that that's how we act with God. We act like God has a bad muffler, that God can't see all the things that we do or all the things that we think. Or sometimes we're like the people speeding on 295. Now, I know that nobody at the King's Community Baptist Church speeds on 295, especially by the little bump in the road by Melita Coffee, where if your windows are open in the summer, you can actually smell the coffee. And right there at the bottom of the hill, there's sometimes Smokey the Bear. And people just tap 
the brakes as soon as they get there. And then what do they do? They grip the steering wheel, white knuckles. They begin to hyperventilate a little because that's fight, flight, or freeze. And they surreptitiously look into the rearview mirror to see if Smokey the Bear pulls out. The other day, Vicky and I were driving and Smokey pulled out. And I thought, oh, shoot. And then I realized I had my collar on, so I should be safe. And Smokey came out and he went right by us and he caught this other little car. And the lights went on and they pulled over. And I was like, ah, I didn't get caught. Some of us treat sin like that. It's only really a sin if you get caught. What does John say? <laughs> Everybody in this room has a sinking boat. And the boat is sinking because of our sin. Now, if you remember the part in the middle of the section where he said, you vipers brood, what makes you think you can escape the coming retribution? He was talking to the people who went to their equivalent of church and they carried their Bibles with them. You know, they might have had their gold cross around their neck. They had their little, you know, smile if you love Jesus button on. They had, of course, their what would Jesus do bracelets. And he said, all of that will not get you into heaven. You have to make a choice. And you have to make a choice and you have to live the choice. Faith, he said, is not a cloak you wear. It's not a moniker you take. It's not a place you go. Faith is an internal belief that propels, produces fruit and prepares us for eternity. I was reading a book this week called Jesus, His Life and Mine. Very interesting book. Uh, I hope my son doesn't listen to this sermon because I bought him a copy for Christmas. It was that good of a book. But one of the images that the man painted is that before every person and every person who listened to John the Baptist are two cups. One cup holds a deadly poison. We know what that cup is. That's sin. For the wages of sin is death. It's a deadly poison, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. And everybody in this room, everybody in this world, everybody who's ever lived except for Jesus has already sipped from that cup of deadly poison because it also says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the other cup is the antidote, the cure. It'll cure all of the sin, all the ailments that sin produces. And we hold the cup. And we sniff the cup. And we look at the quality of the liquid in the cup, the color and the texture. And we, we know that the cup is delicious. But holding the cup and smelling the cup and knowing what's in the cup and believing that the cup will save you will not save you. You have to sip from the cup. And that's where John the Baptist is. If we do the right things, if we make the right decisions, if we choose to walk with God and ingest salvation, so to speak, we have to drink, we have to accept, we have to consume, we have to decide to take the cure. Now, I want to be clear, in John's message, the cure was repent, confess, and be baptized. And later on, we learn that they, the church considered that baptism for the re remission of sins. 
That was a baptism of repentance. But today, it's a different message. It's repent, confess, and accept that perfect cure. Sip from that cup in just a... Now, I, I don't know about you, but remember when Jesus was going to wash the feet and Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, in essence, you'll never be part of the kingdom. And then what Peter say? Wash all of me. I don't just want to drink the cure. I want to like take a bath in the cure. I want to spray it on other people. (laughs) I want everybody to have the cure. Reminds me of a story of a mother and her daughter who were putting up their Christmas tree. And the daughter was in a bit of a funk. The mother said, what's wrong? And she said, you know, I know that after we, we, we trim the tree, we have to go see Steve, Uncle Steve. And I don't want to go. He lives with murderers and with drug dealers and with thieves. As you can imagine, Uncle Steve was in prison. And the mom said, well, you still have to go. She was unhappy, as teenagers can be, but they're still decorating the tree. And at the bottom of the box was their favorite ornament. I want to read this to you. She says, you know what? Oh, she pulls the ornament out and the ornament is broken. And she says, my father made this for me when I was six and he was so careful. He put so much time into every little piece. This is my most precious ornament. And you know, every time I hold it, I think about him. And Uncle Steve, when he was little, he used to take it off the tree and play with it. And I guess now it kind of reminds me of him too. Because Uncle Steve is broken just like this ornament. But you know, I can fix this ornament And God can fix Uncle Steve. God can fix you. God can fix your heart. God can fix your life. God can fix you if you're broken. He'll find you if you're lost. He'll heal you if you're hurt. He'll comfort you if you're grieving. And he'll forgive you if you're sinning. But here's the rub. Only if you let him. Make today the day that you repent confess, and believe so that one day nobody will have to say, hello, you ugly sinner. Amen.